It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. It's uh, nine minutes after eight, and thank you so much for tuning into the forum at eight. Now, uh, this morning uh, we are talking about the media. We're talking about uh, Pagamile Lubi and her struggle, and great to see that everybody's already geared up for the conversation. So let me just give that call-in number oh eight nine one one zero four two zero eight, and uh, you can SMS us on three four seven zero one, Twitter, Facebook, AM Live on SAFM, and please use the hashtag AM Live. And many of you are saying this is biased. What's going to happen right now, this interview with Pagamile Lubi, because why did we not uh, speak to the SABC8, as they are now known? Um, also, why didn't we speak to workers from um, uh, ANN7 and all of that? And, you know, it, it, it just brought home to me some of the things that have been said for a long time, but somehow got lost because perhaps it, it, it didn't scream as loudly as some of the other headlines. And that is the issue that people have been protesting about, that journalists have been protesting about. When journalists said, myself included, hashtag uh, not in my name, hashtag journalist rights, it's not just about the SABC. But of course, we don't want to hear that because it's, 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 uh, I mean, I guess it's more obvious uh, what is happening at the SABC and um, it's out there. It's in your face. So fine. But we've always said these struggles are not peculiar to the SABC. What is going on here is going on in newsrooms across the spectrum. It's, it's, it's not just at the SABC. The independent media platforms, media houses, they have their own challenges, which, by the way, are not too different from what goes on at the SABC. In fact, you will be surprised at how similar these things are. Mm. And some of us have had the privilege of working in both spaces. So there's a lot to talk about. And sometimes you do go, mm, you know, yeah, rich coming from you, because we know what goes on on the other side as well. Having said that, it does not mean that all is well at SABC. It does not mean that all is well in Auckland Park. It isn't. If it were, we would not be seeing the sort of scenes that we are seeing. We wouldn't be reading the sort of headlines that we are reading. But I tell you what, some of us have been standing our ground for the longest time and I will not, I will not accept some of the criticism that you are leveling you know, again, some of the people who work here, that is unacceptable. But we'll get to that. Maybe you want to call in so we can engage on that on a one on one. And just so we are clear, people can be invited to come and speak on the show and they have the right to decline. If people don't feel like speaking for whatever reason, be it legal advice, be it the fact that they don't feel safe on this space, be it the fact that they just don't want to speak, they have the right to do that as well. So whether you like it or not is neither here nor there. If people want to speak, like Pagamile Thubi wants to speak, she's here this morning and we shall engage. So Pagamile, um, d- d- been labeled a disgruntled uh, former employee uh, from ENCA and uh, she's quit the organization. And um, I'm sure many of you have read the letter that she sent out on Saturday and um 
citing issues such as racism, exploitation, anti-unionism, among some of the reasons why she felt that she could no longer continue working at the organization. Pagamile, thanks so much for coming through this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Sakina. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Now, let's get straight to the matter of why you felt that you could no longer be party to what is going on at ENCA. I think I want to go back a little bit to the beginning and give you a reason for the purpose of the letter. Um, If you read the letter, you will see that um, I start by outlining where we began the journey. I talk about the fact that um, we began this journey when our management refused us the right to form an employee forum. So essentially the entire letter or the purpose of this letter that 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 I wrote on Friday was really to motivate the employees. Many people, when I announced the decision to resign, were quite shattered by the fact that I had made the decision to leave E. Um, I've been a very vocal um, opponent of some of the things that I have seen going on in the workplace, in the newsroom. I have been very actively involved in fighting for the empowerment of employees. I have been very actively involved in um, in fighting for journalists to 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 really have the freedom to do what we do, which is to speak truth to power. Mm. And when we talk about speaking truth to power, Sakina, that doesn't just uh, mean uh, me being able to doorstop Jacob Zuma and demand answers on Gandla. When we talk about speaking truth to power, we are talking about all levels of authority. That means not just government, not just the private sector, but even my own employer. If I see that there are things that are wrong, that are happening in the company that I work for, as a journalist, I can't be quiet. It's not business as usual. I can't be expected to do my job of exposing corruption out there in the world when there's rot happening in the very company, in the very organization that I represent. And I feel that it is the duty of all journalists to call out the rot, to call out um, the hypocrisies, the contradictions, um, the oppression, um, anything that is in violation of our constitutional values, which we fought so hard for, we have a duty to fight against it. We have a duty to defend it. And this letter, more than anything, um, and if you read the tone of the letter, it's a call to action to the employees. So on the one hand, I am reminding the employees of the journey we have traveled, of all the achievements we have made in the last year since we decided to actively fight for our rights. Mm -hmm. I was trying to say to them, do not be disheartened. Do not be despondent that I am leaving. Just because I'm leaving doesn't mean that the battle is over. Look at the changes we have made so far because we chose to stand up and fight. My job was just to show you that to fight or fighting, you lose nothing. The only thing you lose are your chains. It empowers you to stand up for yourself and to fight for what is right. And the, that was the tone of, of that letter. It, it was a, it, I even, the, even as I titled it, I titled it as a fond farewell. Because really, I leave, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. I'm surprised that they've used the term uh, disgruntled to describe me. <laughs> I find that quite interesting. But the truth is, I am at peace. I have done what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we mobilized the employees at E. 
and we made a lot of significant changes. And it was really important that the employees needed to understand that this is what we have managed to do. And we did this because we decided that we were going to fight. We did this because we decided we were not going to accept the status quo. We were going to look back at the Constitution, look at the values that are there in the Constitution, and, and demand that our employee live up to the values of this Constitution, which really is soaked in the blood of our ancestors. We have a duty to defend this constitution. And that was overall the message that I was sending, not just to them, but also a message to the management to say, I acknowledge some of the changes that you have made as a result of our fighting, as a result of the fact that we stood up to you and raised these issues. But much, much more needs to be done. And the reason I decided to to publish the letter in the manner mm. that it that I did because I wanted to ask you why is because I'm sick and tired of this idea that journalists should not speak about their conditions that is self censorship Sakina that is self censorship we are failing and in a lot our of that duty in our industry today there's absolutely. a lot of self censorship and 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 I think very often People, when they think about censorship, the idea is usually that it's something that happens very high up, whereas it starts right here on the ground at operational level where people self-censor. Was that your experience as well? Yes. Um, You know, when I I speak about that, it's because um, in the independent media industry, and I can speak clearly about the independent media industry because that is where I have worked my entire career. I have worked for independent broadcasters. And you are discouraged from speaking out. You are discouraged about speaking out about your company. You're discouraged about speaking out about the conditions you suffer from. To do, they perceive that as an attack on the company. In fact, many journalists are, are silenced by social media policies which are used, in my view, as a, a form of censorship. It's a way to prevent us from being truly honest about the racism that we in, encounter on a daily basis, mm-hmm. about the uh, inequalities that we encounter, about the blatant favoritism, about the bullying that we experience in the workplace, in the newsroom. And... I, and my letter really was to encourage journalists in newsrooms all over the country, uh, particularly in independent media houses, to stand up for themselves, to open their mouths and make it clear that they are not willing to tolerate any kind of injustice, that they are willing to actually stand up and fight for the rights that are theirs. And let's break it down because I I want to get into specifics. And, you know, Mm. um, I think that's the advantage you have when someone has quit and then they are no longer, you know, accountable to the powers that be wherever in Hyde Park or Auckland Park Mm. or wherever. And one hopes that they would be in a position to really come clean on these issues so that we are not forced into positions where we are assuming this is what they mean. So when you talk about racism, Mm. What exactly are you talking about? I'm talking about the kind of racism that um, you get two forms of racism. There's a kind of racism where obviously when people use racial slurs, that's the one that more people are, most people are more uh, comfortable discussing. Um, but there's other forms of racism, Sakina. There's a, there's a racism, um, there's institutionalized racism. Mm-hmm. And that is the problem of not just independent media houses, but of corporate South Africa as a whole. 
if you look at the lack of transformation that's taken place in the workplace, not just if you look at the um, uh, the stats, for instance, of JSE ownership um, stats, when you look at the employment equity reports, when it talks about um, which the, the, the senior positions are filled remain in the hands of white males, predominantly white males. The fact that the Employment Equity Report speaks about inequalities in relation to salaries, the fact that people can be doing the same work and yet earning different salaries, that is what I have experienced. And I have experienced it in my entire career in this industry, where I am, where myself and a fellow journalist who happens to be white are doing the same position, are in the same position, doing the same job, but my salary is lower than that person's. And that speaks to the structural inequality and the structural racism that is still pervasive, not just in media, but in corporate South Africa as a whole. If we want to talk about transforming this country, we need to get real about the problems that we are dealing with. And if I have to give you specific examples, when Andrew Barnes insulted the minister for her inability to pronounce the word epitome, mm. that was racist. That was racist, Sakina. Let's not mince any words about it. That was racism at play. That was white supremacy at play. It is an, and it is an experience that I have seen play itself out in different ways, time and time and time again, in the independent media space, where as black journalists, we are constantly having to prove, um, regardless of the qualifications that we have, the experience that we might have, your inability to speak English will determine how far you go. Um, we, have a situ we had a situation at Iwe for three years. There was an employee uh, who was a beautiful storyteller and journalist. He wasn't cleared for air because his accent was too heavy. Those were some of the things we were fighting. How do you decide when you call yourselves E-News Channel Africa that certain employees cannot be cleared for air because they've got heavy African accents? What, what kind of a culture is that? When you, when you have a dress policy that bans headscarves and dukes, what message are you saying? You are telling me as a black person that the people, my people, are not represented, are not welcome in this space because we will only accept a particular standard, and that standard is European. Yet we call ourselves E-News Channel Africa. We broadcast to the continent, or at least we used to. Um, our people are, in, are on this continent. Our people are South African, and the majority of them are African. But you ban dukes? You ban dukes? Give us clarity on that situation in terms of what actually happened. Because, yeah, there was, you know, there was some headlines shouting, but what exactly happened with the duke incident? For over a year, we've been trying to change the dress code policy. Our dress code policy um, is very Eurocentric in nature. The only kind of um, clothing that's acceptable is corporate clothing. Um, and what there is was corporate, corporate clothing? clothing meaning suit, tie, dress, shirt, that standard European way of dressing. Dukes and headscarves were not allowed, ever, on air, ever. And what happened in... And, and so been, I couldn't work at ENCA. Well, I couldn't go on air. Well, have you ever seen an anchor with a headscarf? Okay. That should answer your question. It does. And the reality is that those are some of the policies that must change. And 
um, when we failed to have that policy change, um, that incident that you saw uh, being reported on in the papers, that happened because my colleague, Nondobego Sibisi, was covering a story on Africa Day. And in that story, she chose to wear a duk, to wear a duk. And she did so knowing that she was violating the dress code policy. And of course, as employees, we stood with her on that issue because we've always felt that the dress code policy was unconstitutional. But anyway, she violated the dress code policy and she wore the duk. And her story was pulled off air as a result. So there you have an example of of um, racism, and then you have censorship. And her story was pulled off air because she wore the duk. And we as journalists were up in arms over that because how do you punish a person for, 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 for such an infringement? Upon what basis do you base your decision? What when, was management's when, response? When we are a country that is based on democracy and where we have a constitution that is clear about cultural rights, about women's mm. rights. You know, the, the code really, the dress code policy does not speak to who we are and what we are trying to achieve. And thankfully, because of the publicity around it, which was garnered as a result of our opposition, the policy is now being changed. And those are some of the things that I was highlighting in my letter to say that even when the company made it clear that they were not interested in hearing from employees, when they rejected our right to establish a workplace forum last year, we did not let them get away with it. They refused to be accountable to us. We ensured that they were accountable to the public for the decisions that they were making. And it was thanks to the public pressure that this dress code policy was changed. It was thanks to the public pressure that a lot of the things that we are seeing at ENCA now, the changes that have, uh, we are witnessing in the newsroom are because we just didn't walk away and, and decide to remain silent. We fought. And not only did we, we engaged our management the entire time. And, and what was their response? And I also want to throw this in from Vivian Pariachi who asked, has there been any genuine evidence that the journal's story was pulled because of the Duke? It was pulled because of the Duke. The, 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 the news... Ed, the editor-in-chief, Anton Harbour, confirmed on 702 that that was why the story had been pulled and that he felt that he didn't think there was anything wrong with the story. He thought there was a problem with the dress code policy and it was being reviewed. He agreed with us that the decision was wrong. So, you know, I, 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 I find it really strange when people talk about um, the fact that there's no racism at ENCA. In fact, um, if I read the statement from Harbour, he alludes to that, that there were only two incidents that he knows of. No, we're not fighting against racial slurs. We're fighting against a culture of racism, entrenched racism in the manner in which the business operates. Now, that has to do with a mindset change. When, you talk, when, when, we, when we refer to transformation, transformation should never be uh, interpreted as um, a superficial exercise where you fill up your workplace with black faces. So you replace black pe white people with black people and you've transformed. If the culture there is, is untransformed, if the mindset is still the same, you have changed nothing. And that is what we are trying to do at ENCA. That is what we've been fighting for. 
Well, we're speaking to Pagamile Hlubi, uh, Hlubi this morning, and she, of course, formerly of ENCA, and uh, coming clear on why she actually decided to leave um, ENCA. And we're hearing, uh, we've spoken so far about some of the issues. Uh, the anti-unionism was also a big issue, and we'll come to that after the break. But uh, interesting, some of the comments uh, that are coming through and they are many, Pagamile. We'll read more of them after the news break. Um, Madiba Buitumelo says, um, media freedom is not a privilege, but an organic necessity in a great society. And suppression of views in the SABC newsroom is tragic. Uh, fear is a terrible management tool. If Laudi is an organic intellectual, he must win journalists over by persuasion, not fear. Uh, Jose Khaleshiwe says congratulations to all the journals who won at the uh, Nat Nakasa Awards for their excellence in journalism. We are proud of them. And Lunga Colin Duma says, people are naive, uh, Sakina. Pagamile, uh, and Pagamile, black journalists across all media are exploited and forced to work under unfavorable conditions. And Chris Maxson says, I recently um, opined about the shenanigans at the SABC and the fact that it must also be seen within the general media landscape. Journalism is under siege. And I think that that is a critical point. Mm -hmm. Hence, you know, it's about hashtag journalist rights Mm -hmm. because journalism is under siege. And that's why I said to some people, you need to listen more closely. Listen to what is being said. Don't be carried away by the headlines and, and, and who is making the loudest noise. There are issues that journalists have to face on a daily basis, which, in fact, in a free society, in a democratic South Africa, should not be the case. But these are our realities. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. And speaking to Pagamile Thubi this morning, and uh, Pagamile has actually quit uh, ENCA, uh, citing reasons of anti-unionism, exploitation. She's talked us through the racism issues that exist within that broadcaster. And uh, she says the problems at ETV also include the lack of transformation. And um, she's also gone through some of what that means in that context. And uh, Pagamile believes that workers at uh, ETV are not free that there is an atmosphere of fear and bullying at the free-to-air broadcaster, which uh, sounds all too familiar from uh, what Jimmy Matthews cited in his um, letter of resignation as well. You know, Sakina, I want to go back to the statement you made earlier at the beginning of the show where you spoke about, uh, you were referring to a comment where the comment the, the person said, journalists or journalism is under attack. And I think I agree with that. I feel that uh, media owners have forgotten what our mandate is as journalists. Our duty as journalists is to confront authority, to seek answers, to expose corruption. And we have to do that with each and every kind of authority we meet, even our employer. And if we do so to you as our employer, that doesn't mean we should be vilified or victimized for standing up to you, for asking you, Serious questions about decisions that you're making, about things that you're saying, about things that you're doing. We cannot operate with our eyes closed and with with blinkers on. So it's okay for me to attack President Jacob Zuma. It's okay for me to to criticize the ANC. But I, I should be silent when I see you being racist. I should be silent 
when I see you oppressing fellow employees in the newsroom. Um, you know, when I spoke about the culture of fear and bullying, it was particularly bad in the newsroom um, at some point. And, 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 and speaking for myself, mm-hmm. that is what I experienced uh, a lot of the time, especially last year. And it Give actually examples, Pagamine. It, it, I'm, I'm, I'm going into it got so bad, but it wasn't just me. It was employees everywhere at E. And it, it got so bad that we had several engagement sessions with the COO where the issue of bullying and fear and the culture of fear in the workplace kept being raised as a problem from employees. In fact, there were even sessions held with a, a company um, it was uh, a company called, I don't know their proper names, but it was Mitch and Ronnie, and they basically get involved with employees and deal with workplace issues. But at every single one of those sessions, the same message came back, that there is an atmosphere of fear and bullying. And to give you an example, there was a, a discussion you had on your show, I think it was about two or three weeks ago, you were speaking about how... Um, Bullying manifests itself in the workplace Mm -hmm. um, where um, managers will use uh, methods like public humiliation as a way of dealing with you. I have seen that in the newsroom. I've seen that being meted out by senior managers against junior employees. And because people are so disempowered and because there is no... um, organization or body for them to fight for, for, for their uh, organization or body that they can go to, which can fight for them. And also I think because people are, are also not, um, are, are quite ignorant of their rights, even mm. in newsrooms, even, even media employees I've, I've found don't know enough about the labor laws, don't know enough about the constitution, and they allow this type of abuse to take place. And this came up time and time again in our public forums, in our public meetings that we had with our managers to say that this environment needs to change. Now, as I said to you, Sakina, some changes have been made, but even as I left E, I was still getting reports from employees about the fact that this problem still persists. And in my letter, it was to re-emphasize, to say, nothing will change if you don't fight. Nothing will change if you don't fight. And I felt I could leave E. In fact, the decision for me to leave was, and, 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 and that was why I, part of the reason why I wrote that letter, was also to kill the idea that I was forced out or that I left in a huff and puff, or I left because I was frustrated, or I left because I'd been intimidated out. That was not the case. Yes, I experienced forms of intimidation last year. Yes, I experienced victimization, but I fought back. And I left when I felt that the employees were at a point where they could fight for themselves. That's what made comfortable for me to leave ENCA. But At the end of the day, I also wanted to make it clear that there was still a lot of work that needed to be done, a lot of changes that needed to be affected. We need to change the culture. We need to change the corporate culture. Um, We talk about strengthening democracy. We talk about accountability. But that accountability must mean something. It's not just something that politicians must do. It's something that each and every single one of us, if you're a black manager in a company, and, and really this is an appeal that I'm making to black managers because my my experience has been that 
um, I will encounter black managers who are in positions, but they make decisions which disempower black people or they make decisions which are unprogressive. And then you're going to complain about the lack of transformation when you are in a position to change the status quo. Most of my managers have been female. Most of my direct managers have been female. Yet the environment I work in is so anti-women. It's anti-new um, um, mothers. When, 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 when we have journalists who come back from maternity leave, we don't try and shift our mindset to accommodate this enormous life change that has taken place in their lives and make their lives a little bit easier. We have power to make that person's work environment a little bit better, but you, you as a man manager will choose not to do that. Those are some of the things that have to change, Sakina. Okay. We're going to take some calls. 891 Pagamile Thubi in uh, studio with me here this morning and uh, talking about why she left ENCA. Uh, let's go to the lines uh, to uh, Stellenbosch. Uh, Sabela Sithe, good morning. Um, Sakin. Welcome. Uh, Pagamile. Yeah, well, hello. I I I I wish I could say this in my in my home language. Kuluma baba. Because you see, this is what will get us as when Africans become African. When we stand up to become who we are, and we do not need to be apologetic. This is what you see. I'm happy that this thing happens. Me now, generally, me now. Some of you are the ones that brand us, that make us to be uh, and to think. And when our bedrooms, you are there and your voices, your whatever it is that you, you guys do, is always the exact the trend of what Africa is to become. And when you stand up like this, Pagamil, I'm a student. I'm at Elsenberg, uh, Agricultural College. I was part of all of these things. I mean, uh, I, 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 I went in after having worked and went back and said, I want to do agriculture. When I get, I got into this uh, agricultural institution, I found what we are so backward. And the only thing that, the reason, the reason that these things do not work, that South Africa does not become, that the African is undermined as we are now, because we do not stand up in our own spaces. As it, at, in, in, at home, in our communities, Hate for Uzuma, finally criticize Uzuma, finally criticize whoever person that, 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 that is in the public space. And you are the people that set up onto the public space. Now, when you guys stand like that, you set a trend. Of, thank you very much. I am so, I'm, I, I, I'm so humbled by what you guys are doing. You make me an African. You uh, we lost him there. Thank you so much, though, for the Thank call. You. And um, uh, we'll run through a few more, uh, Pagamile, so just uh, take notes and uh, we'll respond to them after this tranche. Mapina in Kwakwa, good morning. Sakina, it's Matela. Hi, Matela. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, how are you, Sakina? I'm good, thanks, and you? Sakina, I mean, Pagamile, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. How are you, sir? Pagamil, you're sitting actually next to the person who, at one stage, I believe, she was still at Metro, when she was bullied because they could not allow a certain person to come on air and be interviewed by Sakina. I remember that. I was listening. You remember that. Mm. Sakina, actually, she was at one stage at the receiving end of bullying at the service. Yeah, boy. Mm. 
And, and bullying is not only happening in, in, like you said, in a corporate world. Mm. It, it's rife. I worked for both private sector and public, uh, and, and, and public sector. For both, in, I worked for SARS. I worked for the Department of Higher Education and Training. I can tell you it's happening everywhere. And okay. the, the, the fact that you're saying black managers sometimes implement the decisions that go against uh, the values and principles of the ruling party itself, for instance, what you fought for over the years, it is true. Thank you so much, uh, Matila, uh, calling us from Kwatwa. And let's go to Durban now. Paul, good morning to you. Sakina and Paramile, ENCA was founded by Marcel Golding and Copelin Kop- uh, or something like that on the basis of uh, the funds that were generated through a union. Mm. And the sad part is to hear about these stories and, and to, to think that the executives are people who are formerly uh, head of unions who are associated with, uh, with unions and to have to experience these kinds of things. It is a sad thing. But one of the things I wanted to say to, uh, to Paramili, a lot of the issues that she raised just on your show are more related to organizational rights, which, in my view, would affect not just media organizations, but most organizations. Mm. And, and it becomes important that you, you don't, as, as journalists, see yourself as being distinct from other organizations who must have forums or union representation. And, and, and perhaps that's where you need to start, uh, mm. journalists across the board, that you don't just look at yourself as some uh, separate entity that is, you know, that should be viewed differently to what other organizations go through. That's my view. Thank you so Thank much, you. Paul. And uh, Eddie is in Cape Town. Good morning, Eddie. Hello, Eddie. Okay, we seem to have lost uh, Eddie in Cape Town there. Uh, let me throw uh, uh, at least two messages to you before you answer. Um, Duduzi Kumalo says, uh, some employers think that they can run over you anyhow just because you're desperate to work. Uh, hell no. And then uh, Anele um, Da says, when a woman has endured it all, she reaches a point when uh, she will rise even if she's alone to speak her truth to power. Pagamile? Absolutely. And I mean, you know, first of all, um, and I'm very appreciative of all the support that we received from the callers and the comments. Um, <clears throat> I think many people are only hearing about the struggles of ENCA probably because of this letter that I wrote. The reality is that workers at ENCA have been engaged in a struggle now for over a year. We have held pickets at least on two occasions. And the Duke protest that was extensively reported on was the third of several uh, public demonstrations against the company and its policies and against this culture of exclusion and, instu- and institutionalized racism. Um, on the issue of organized labor, the fact of the matter is that ENCA denied its employees the right to form a workplace forum, which is a right that is enshrined in the labor law. On what basis was that denied? Um, They want us to use the open door policy, which they say has been successful all along. And of course, we were vehemently opposed to that because their open door policy was a failure. There were many, many issues, many problems that employees were suffering under. 
and uh, which were not being addressed. And we wanted accountability. We wanted transparency. Um, case in point, last year, we shut down a division. Um, the Africa division was shut down. Employees were retrenched. What many people don't know is that weeks before that retrenchment took place, the management issued letters to the employees assuring them that their jobs were safe. You know, so things like that, where, where, where incidents like that happen, questions are not asked. We're just expected to move on, and it's like nothing happened. As employees, we wanted answers. They shut down a division. Over 30 people lost their jobs, and then they went and rewarded themselves with bonuses thereafter. The top management received 10% bonuses after they retrenched workers at E. And we wanted explanations as to how do you justify such a situation when people have lost their jobs. That was actually part of the reason why we were fighting for the right to be heard, why we were fighting for the right to be organized, why we wanted a union so that we could hold our employees, our employer to, uh, to account for the decisions that they were making. But it doesn't have to be through a union. If, as a journalist, I am raising pertinent issues, I should be able to do so in a newsroom environment and not sacrifice my career at the same time. And sadly, that had been the practice. That was even raised directly with the COO. I remember at a particular engagement that I went to, a member of the online team stood up and said, we are sick and tired of being victimized. People who stand up and raise their voices are either um, uh, fired in a very creative manner or they are frustrated out of the building. When are you going to take us seriously on the issues that we have raised? All right. Let's park it there uh, because I want to speak to uh, ENCA's editor-in-chief, Professor Anton Harbour. Thank you so much for availing yourself this morning. Professor Harbour? Yes, good morning. Well, welcome to the show. So we've heard from Pagamile Thlubi, we've read her letter over the weekend, and uh, we'd like to know, you know, uh, what ENCA's response is to these very serious allegations. Well, um, um, as you know, I think I've only been here three or four months, um, and so I've been uh, dealing with some of these uh, allegations since I've arrived, and people have been dealing with them for a long time. Um I, I, you know, I want to say a few things very clearly um, rather than get into any dispute over what did or didn't happen. Um, racism here is, is and won't be tolerated at all. And if there are incidents of racism or, or, or um, issues of racism, then we will tackle them head on. And I can assure you I will have zero tolerance for them. In our structures, but um, there is, seems to be an issue of of anti-unionism. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a bit mystified by this because there are discuss. You know, uh, staff members have joined the union. There are discussions with the union um, about uh, recognition issues, and uh, I can assure you that if the union um, membership and representativity meets the legal requirements. Uh, then the law will be followed and um, um, the union will be recognized. You know, you can't, uh, you can't recognize a union unless it's organized. Um, and uh, there's a process that has to be gone through. And my uh, understanding is that that's what's going through. But I can tell you that, you know, the Constitution is, is, is very dear to me and, and to us. 
And um, there's no question we will adhere to it 120%. Uh, there, there, there will be no victimization for anyone who wants to join a union or organize. Um, um, and uh, that's really not a problem at all. Is that a new decision? I mean, when, when did you uh, come to that decision? Look, um, as I say, I can only speak for the last two months that I've been here. And that's, um, that's the view I inherited. It's certainly the view I've been implementing. Um, as you heard, um, our major shareholder is a trade union. Um, this company has deep um, roots among the individuals who started it and in its relationships with the trade union movement. Um, and there is, there is absolutely no, you know, I, 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 look, I, in the, in the end, I, I can only as, um, as editor-in-chief here, in here say that under, under my watch, um, um, there is no problem with unionism. There's no problem with people joining the union of their choice. Um, and there certainly won't be any racism tolerated in any form or structure at all. And where there is, uh, historical structural problems, as they are in this country, in, in many structures because of our complicated and difficult history. We'll tackle those head-on um, and deal with them uh, together with our staff. And what about the atmosphere um, the, uh, and workplace democracy where people feel that uh, they are constantly working under conditions of fear and bullying? Well, I, I don't know that. I've spent the last three, four months talking to staff, interacting with staff, um, staff uh, working with me on an open door policy. Um, so um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't see that. Um, I don't feel that. Um, and the staff are doing it. Uh, we, we're actually in the process of forming a, a, a looking at uh, how we form a staff forum to create ways for people to raise and deal with those issues hand-in-hand hand with uh, us in management. Well, uh, Professor Harbour, thank you so much for responding uh, to this call, and uh, we're going to leave it there and continue with Pagamile Tlubi because uh, you actually want to respond to that. There are, I want to just add that, as I said, if you read my letter, I am outlining or mapping out what the situation was and how we fought to change it. Many of the things that Anton Harbour is referring to are as a result of our fighting for these things. ENCA was hostile to unions. That's mm. a fact. They were. They, 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 they had a culture which was hostile to unions. The very fact that they refused the employees the right to form an employee forum last year speaks to that reality. But given the formation, and, and, and this one is mind-boggling, as uh, Professor Harbour also alludes to, mm. and the union ties with ENCA, yeah. how did this come to be? I can't explain it to you, Sakina, to be honest with you, because it was something that we couldn't understand as employees, is that how do we as employees working for an organization that was formed, first of all, after 1994. Secondly, that was formed by unionists. Why do we walk into an environment that is anti-organized labor? That is what we were, that is actually what started our battle at ENCA. How it has ended is that by the time I left ENCA, we had negotiated to the point where the CWU, our battle, resulted in the CCMA ordering ENCA or E-Media to engage with the union. And they're in the process right now of finalizing and establishing organizational rights. But those are things that we had to fight for. 
And my letter was to remind employees that we, whilst there have been some changes and, and we fought hard for these changes, there's still a lot of work to do and that they shouldn't give up. The only way to change anything is to keep on fighting. But more importantly, it's really important for journalists to be able to speak openly and freely about their conditions. The very fact that I'm sitting here is an anomaly. <laughs> Tell me about it. And that's what people have been saying all morning. Yeah, because our, our industry discourages us from speaking out about our conditions. So we are empowered to... To, to expose the suffering of others, but we should keep quiet about our own suffering. And I like what that caller said, where, who said that journalists need to stop separating themselves from society because when we do that, we start to forget that we are human too. We have rights too. Mm. We have rights too, and we are suffering uh, in, in newsrooms across the country. It's not just SABC journalists. And really, I do want us to have a conversation that shifts beyond... When people talk about criticism of the media, what the, the understanding of that seems to be criticism of the SABC. But when employees at independent media houses raise issues, nobody jumps up to support them. I have very strong support for my SABC colleagues for what they've been battling. Sakina, I've been listening to your show since Metro. So I know exactly the struggles that you've been fighting. And I'm aware of what Kruvani has had to battle against. And, and I am proud of, of, of you guys for standing up for your rights. And, and, and I love the support that you're getting. But when we stood up for our rights, right to know wasn't there. And I don't understand why there must be a differentiation as if somehow it's okay for us to, 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 to suggest as if the only kind of suffering or the only kind of uh, oppression that takes place or censorship that takes place uh, or violation of rights, it only occurs at the SABC or ANN7. ANN7 has become uh, a, 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 a new space, but nobody wants to talk about what's happening in independent media houses. And what I also want to do is to to really break down, de break down this idea that there are certain spaces which are sacred and cannot be criticized or critiqued. The media is such a space. We need to start having open, honest dialogue and engagement about our media. Mm -hmm. We need to start um, analyzing. And, and this discussion should start from journalists. We should be the ones that should lead these discussions and the debates and the media houses should, should, should cooperate and be involved. Because if we do not engage in these discussions about the weaknesses in our industry, then we, we make it possible for other people like the government to start talking about things like media tribunals. So really, we have a responsibility to deal with the problems that affect our industry. Not too long ago, in fact, it was in 2006, no, 2009, SANEF released a report about, um, it was looking at, it, it, it was called the glass ceiling report, but it, it was a report looking at um, the impact of, uh, of uh, working conditions for female journalists. It was a very small report and um, Really, one of the things that came out when I was reading that report, one of the things that came out was that they found they, they make reference to a comment made by someone where they say the newsroom is an environment that is not fit for humans. <clears throat> what has changed since that report was issued in 2009, Sakina? As a journalist who's been in this industry since 2010, I can tell you very little.
And I think, and I, and I challenge my colleagues. I mean, Masati Gallens is one of my colleagues. I'm so proud of her that she's been chosen chairperson of SANEF. But I am challenging SANEF to do another survey now, urgently, to look at the conditions facing journalists on a day-to-day basis. Journalists in this country are suffering. Mm. Not only are we suffering from the conditions of our workplace environment, but we are now also victims when we go out there and we cover stories. We, we go out there barely without any protection. So really, it is the, the situation for, for journalists in this country is quite serious. And Sanif needs to look at it holistically. It should never just be a case of where when we criticize, it's okay to criticize SABC and ANN7, but we don't have discussions about other media houses. Mm. That is how we transform the industry. And here's a, uh, just a parting shot from Vivian who says, why are there no other journals from ENCA coming forth? Uh, will they, will they very soon? And, uh, you know, and, and I just want to end this one here because there are also I've seen tweets of people asking um, other journalists to confirm uh, you know and support what Pagamile is doing why do you want to drag other people into it Pagamile knows why she's doing what she's doing and she knows whose support she has and can count on and who she doesn't and 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 therefore you know there's no need for other people to come forth to validate her truth She's spoken her truth and she stands in her truth. And that's all it takes. We don't need other people to validate who we are. We know what the struggles are. But you know what? We're out of time, which is perhaps not a bad thing this morning. (laughs) So let's leave it there. Pagamile Lumbi, thanks for coming through. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, you can make up your mind for yourself, but try not to conflate. Listen to what is being said. Hashtag journalist rights. Don't conflate the issues.